If you will, take your Bibles and open up to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Keep your place there. We'll come to that uh, in just a moment uh, for our text uh, today. Uh, many years ago, the actor Cary Grant was uh, walking down the street in uh, Hollywood, and uh, he met a fellow, and the guy locked his eyes on Cary Grant uh, with excitement and and the man uh, came over to Grant, and he said, wait a minute, wait a minute, you're, uh, you're, I know who you are, don't tell me, you're uh, Rock Hud, uh, no, no, you're, uh, and Cary Grant thought for a second, he said, well, I'll help him out, and I'll finish the man's sentence, and he said, when the man said, you're, you're, he said, Cary Grant, and the fellow said, no, that's not it. There was Cary Grant right there in front of him, identifying himself with his own name, but the fellow had someone else in mind. But perhaps my favorite story, and I believe it happened to the actor Kirk Douglas, I'm not 100% certain on that, but I believe it was Kirk Douglas who told about an occasion where his car had broken down on the side of the road, and he was hitchhiking to the nearest service station. A man pulled over, and he got in the car with the man, and the man looked at him and did a double take and said, do you know who you are? <laughs> well, that's the question I want to ask you this morning. Do you know who you are? Did you know the Bible says that all of us fit in one of three categories? Think about this. There are seven and a half billion people on our planet, and I can tell you this morning that every one of us fit in one of the three categories that I'm going to show you from God's Word this morning. So if you're physically able to do so, I want to invite you to stand with me this morning as we look at God's Word, beginning in chapter 2, verse 11, and we're going to read on in to the first four verses of chapter 3. Follow along. Paul writes and says, For who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now you are not yet ready, for you are still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, 
I follow Apollos, are you not being merely human? Father, would you take now and open our hearts, our spiritual eyes, our minds, and would you cause us, Father, through your Holy Spirit and your Holy Word to receive, Father, your instruction. Father, would you teach us, would you convict us, would you transform us? I pray for any that are hearing these words today, whether it's in this live audience, on television, radio, or through live stream, that, Father, you would make your word effective, and that, Father, you would accomplish your purpose with it, that you would change lives, that you would save the lost, and, Father, that you would uh, renew those who have wandered. Speak to us now. We ask it in the name that is above all names and the name we know you hear, Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. Now, in our passage this morning, Paul makes clear that who we are is related to our connection or our lack of connection to God. Remember, Paul is writing this letter to people who have at least identified themselves as Christians. There's some question marks about that as you read both this book and the second book of Corinthians, but at least he is addressing it to people who have identified themselves as Christians. And uh, much of the book is devoted to, to the way that they have behaved and the way they were behaving, and the message uh, that their behavior reflected to people around them. And the passage is a stirring challenge to personal spiritual evaluation, not just for them, but for all of us, and the implications of how they were living are implications that many of us might have to consider in our own lives. Dr. Robert G. Lee was a great man of God, but he was never known to flinch. He, he was never known to back up or back down or water down the Word of God. And on one particular Sunday, he preached a strong message against sin. And uh, there was a lady in the church who was irritated by his message. As a matter of fact, she became angry because of his message. And when, when he had finished preaching, he moved to the uh, outside of the uh, worship center, and he was standing there greeting people as they passed by. And the woman approached Dr. Lee at the door, and she said to him, Dr. Lee... I didn't like that sermon one little bit. And he said without pause, Madam, neither did the devil classify yourself. <laughs> now that's what I want us to do this morning. I, I want to show you three classifications or three categories to help you determine which one you belong to. And that's important because... Uh, only one of the categories, only one of the classifications represents a victorious Christian life. And this series that we're in is about how do I walk in victory? How do I live in victory? Well, if you're going to be a victorious Christian, you're going to have to, to, to know who you are and where you are in your relationship to God. And so this morning, I want you to, if you will, examine yourself just a bit to see which of the three categories of people represents you. Remember, no one is exempt. 
Seven and a half billion people, and everybody is in one of these categories. How about you? Which one are you? The first is this. It is found in verse 14. It is what we call the natural person. Did you see that in verse 14? The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. They are folly to him, and he's not able to understand them because they're spiritually discerned. The natural person is just like anyone born. They are birthed uh, one time physically, but they have not been born again. Uh, So we all enter this world as the natural person. The question is, have you remained the natural person? In fact, the word for natural is a word in the Greek. It's sukikos, and it means a person that has physical life. It comes from the Greek word suke, which means soul. And so the point that Paul is making here and the Scripture is reminding us of is that the natural man is just a living soul. That's, he's just a living, breathing soul, a person that is living on the earth, and that's all they're doing. They are existing in their flesh but they have no spiritual connection to their creator. That's the natural person. And because the natural person has no connection to God, to their creator, it is impossible for them to live as a victorious Christian or in the victory that God created them to live in. What are the characteristics of this person? How can you identify the natural person? How can you identify if it's you? Well, let me give you three characteristics. Uh, uh, First, they are hostile to the truth of God. They're hostile to the truth of God. Did you know that a person who rejects God, just the act of rejecting God is an expression of hostility and contempt toward God? You don't have to be angry or mean to be hostile to God. There is enmity in our hearts when we have, uh, because of sin, and consequently that is hostility to God. And uh, John uh, uh, 3, 18 and 19 reminds us when Jesus said, whoever believes in him, Jesus, is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already. That's the natural man. Because he has not believed in the name of the only uh, Son of God. And this is the judgment, that the light has come into the world and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. You see, the natural person is condemned already. Now, our world doesn't like to use that word. But the natural person is condemned already simply because they have not connected with their creator or they have rejected and sometimes willfully and uh, hostily they have uh, rejected their creator. The natural person rejects the truth of God. And that's their, our, our nature It was our nature, too, before we came to Christ. And the natural person does that because he is born into the natural world. And to be born into the natural world, Paul tells us, is to be blind to the spiritual world. Do you remember when Paul was saved on the road to Damascus? Do you remember the Bible says, and scales fell from his eyes? Why? Because in our natural state, we are all spiritually blind. That's what, uh, and if we don't deal with spiritual blindness, we will remain in the the, the natural person. Now, 
Uh, again, I, I don't want you to confuse when I use the word hostile to necessarily being antagonistic to God. There are a lot of people that are, in effect, hostile to God simply because they have rejected God. I just I don't I don't want anything to do with God. I'm not mad. I just don't want anything to do with God. It's still an act of hostility. Any rejection of God, even if it is not with malice or even if it is unintentional, is still hostility toward God. Paul writes in Romans 8 and 5 and says, For those who live according to the flesh set their mind. That's the natural person. They set their mind on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. I'll talk more about that in just a bit. A second characteristic of the natural person, if you want to identify them, is that they are apathetic to the truth of God. Some are hostile. Some are apathetic. That is, they, they, they don't outright uh, reject God. They may even confess God. They simply consider God to be irrelevant. The truth of God, did you notice what he said, is folly to them. I don't, I don't need that. I, I was reading just this... Uh, this weekend, another, uh, 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 well, an article that reported on some surveys conducted by Decision Magazine, that's Billy Graham's organization, and the Barner Research Group, one of the leading Christian polling organizations, and said uh, 70% of America's, uh, Americans still profess Christianity. 70% still, that's a, a significant drop, but it's still a major minority. Now listen, if 70% of Americans are confessing to be Christians, why is America in such a mess? It's because there's a lot of confession, but there's been no real transformation. The natural man may be a person who is simply apathetic to the truths of God. They don't mind saying, yeah, God exists, but I, I, I don't really need that. The word folly that's used here in the Greek means nonsense. In other words, the natural person considers the truth of God as something that's just useless to them, insignificant to them. It doesn't shape or affect their life. It may be so. It may not be so. But to them, it's just simply unnecessary. Then the third characteristic of the natural person is that they're ignorant of the truth of God. And this is a little different because, see, the apathetic person says, I know that the truth of God is out there. I know God. Uh, and they may even say this, I, I believe the Bible. But in reality, it has no impact on their life. Okay, that can be the apathetic person. I just don't need it. But the, the ignorant person, the, the natural person that is ignorant to the truth of God, that is a person that just hasn't comprehended it, and there's great hope for that. Well, there's hope for all of these. But this person is, that, that, that Paul said it right there in the passage, not able to understand the truth about God. They're not hostile. They're not apathetic. They simply are ignorant, and I don't mean that in a pejorative or, or con, uh, uh, condescending uh, uh, a way. They're just ignorant, literally ignorant, and they neither know nor understand the truth of God. It may be that no one has ever explained it to them. That's why we have this mission that we're about is to make sure we get the gospel out because there are many in our world that would respond to the gospel. There are people in your sphere of influence that would respond to the gospel if you'd just help them understand it. That's part of our mission. It's like uh, the Ethiopian eunuch. Do you remember the story of the Ethiopian eunuch in Acts chapter 8? It says, and the Spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. And by the way, the Spirit took Philip and put him there in the wilderness, in the desert with this Ethiopian eunuch. And so Philip ran to him 
and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet. This is a man who's ignorant of uh, what God's uh, purposes and plans were, and he's reading the prophet Isaiah, and Philip goes up to him and says, do you understand what you are reading? And you know what the eunuch said? He said, how can I unless somebody guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. And by the way, Philip uh, led him to an understanding of uh, the gospel of Jesus. He got saved, and guess what? The eunuch said, can I get baptized? We're near water. Baptize me. And so, you see, sometimes it was just ignorant. Uh, it, it, It isn't because the person... Uh, doesn't want the gospel, it's because they need help understanding, and that's where you and I can really come in strongly. Many years ago, President Jimmy Carter announced that he had been born again. Maybe some of you remember, I certainly remember, it made headlines across the nation when he, uh, he said he'd been born again. And so they asked, uh, as a result of that, they asked Nelson Rockefeller, who had been the former governor of New York and was the vice president of the United States, they asked Nelson Rockefeller uh, if he had ever been born again. Do you know what his answer was? His answer was this, and I quote, Mr. Carter and I are of the same religion. But then he added, he said, but I certainly haven't been born again. He said, I count myself lucky to have been born the first time. Well, he didn't get it, did he? He may be of the same religion. And listen to those of you who are listening, live audience, who listen to me. Religion won't do it for you. We're of the same religion, he said. So? It's not about the same religion. It's about the same relationship. Jimmy Carter got it right that you must be born again. But Nelson Rockefeller said, whoa, I ain't been born again. You know what he was saying? He's saying, that's a little silly sounding. I'm lucky to be born the first time. Listen, dear friend, understand, you must be born again. We all began the natural person, but we have to be born again. And the natural person can be religious, but be ignorant to the transforming truth of God. So the natural person can have an interest in spiritual things and yet spiritually miss. So ask yourself this morning, is this your category? Are you the natural person? Be honest. If you're watching live stream, t- television, radio, are you, which, are you the natural? Is this you? Is this, this who you are? Well, I'm kind of apathetic. I, I, I am, I, I'm just ignorant to it. Uh, listen, the good news is all of that can change. It can change today. But that's a category, and you have to be honest with yourself. And listen, if you don't get honest with yourself, you'll never change. And so you have to be honest. Is this your category? The second category I want you to see, we see in verse 15, he mentions, and if you'll look there, he mentions the spiritual person. And that's the second category. So you, you, you have the natural person, and then he speaks of the spiritual person. Now, the spiritual person is the victorious Christian. In fact, let me just go ahead and tell you, this is the category you want to be in. The victorious Christian is in this category, the spiritual person This is the category that has the genuine followers of Jesus Christ, not just the confessors. And let me give you a couple of characteristics of the the spiritual person that we see here. First of all, they are sensitive to the Spirit of God. Look at verse 12. uh, Go back up. And uh, now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things that we have been freely given from God. They are sensitive to the Spirit of God. They are sensitive to the leading and the promptings uh, of the Holy Spirit. 
The spiritual person walks in step with the Spirit of God. Why? Because they have the indwelling presence of the Spirit of God that they have surrendered to. Now hang on to that thought. That's very important because we got another category to go. They have surrendered to the Spirit, so they are led by the Spirit. They, uh, the Spirit of God helps them understand the things of God, and the Scripture even says the deep things of God. As we are surrendered and sensitive to the promptings and the leadings of the Spirit, and we adjust our walk because of our sensitivity to the Spirit. Some years ago, a park ranger at Yellowstone National Park was leading a group of hikers to up a pass to a fire lookout area. And the ranger uh, loved what he did, and he was so intent at telling the hikers about the flowers and the different animals that they could see in various places along the trail uh, that they were hiking that, uh, uh, that he decided to turn his radio off. And the reason was because it kept, you know, buzzing and beeping, and it was distracting to him, and he wanted them to take in everything around them. And so he decided he'd just turn that off so it wouldn't be a distraction to him any longer. And uh, as the group neared the tower, the ranger was suddenly met by a, a nearly breathless lookout from the tower who asked him why he hadn't responded to the messages that they'd been sending him on his radio. He said, well, I turned it off. He said, well, we've been trying to get to you because a grizzly bear we saw from the tower was stalking and tracking your group. And we were trying to warn you of the danger. You see, the spiritual person has learned what voice to listen to. And a lot of times in this world, there are so many voices that we're not listening, we turn off, we turn off the voice of God. And God is, and the reason a lot of Christians get themselves in a mess is because they turned off the wrong voice. They got distracted by all the things around them. They turned off the voice of God. Listen, the, the uh, victorious Christian, the spiritual person is sensitive to God. He's always tuned in and listening to the direction that God brings to them. But there's another characteristic of the, the spiritual person, and that is they are shaped by the mind of Christ. He tells us that in verse 16 of chapter 2, for who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? So how do I understand what, God, what God's instructions are? This is what he's saying. He's, he's saying the spiritual person does because they have not only the Spirit of God, but because they have the Spirit of God, they have the mind of Christ to instruct them, to direct them. And the word mind here in the passage means a particular way or a specific manner of thinking. It is a disposition. It's a, it's a perspective. It's a way we see things. The mind of Christ is granted to the spiritual person. And because of that, listen, it means we have access to the wisdom of God. And most importantly, we have access, listen, to God's perspective on things. You know, we talk a lot today about worldview. What's your worldview? What's your world? Everybody has a worldview. I've talked about that at length. Everybody has a worldview. But listen to me. There's only one worldview to really live your life by, and that's God's worldview. Do you, how do you have God's worldview? Our problem today, I believe, is that many in the church have the world's worldview uh, world and not God's worldview. 
And see, he, that's what he's saying. How do you have the God's uh, uh, worldview? You have it when you are sensitive to the Spirit residing in you and you are responding to the mind of Christ that is directing you. <clears throat> Someone said, let the mind of the master be the master of your mind. Let the mind of the master be the master of the mind. And I told you last week, I've told you in previous messages in this series, that the greatest battlefield you'll ever fight on will be the battlefield of your mind. And um, the spiritual person has learned to, to do that. He's learned to have let the mind of the master be the master of, of his mind. And how you see things makes a difference. Would you agree with that statement? Would you agree that your perspective makes a difference? The a spiritual person, you see, sees things from God's vantage point. And then here's what they do. When you see things the way God sees things, guess what you do? You adjust the way you live or the way you behave. So my perspective, if it is the mind of Christ, is going to adjust the way I respond in life, the way I behave in life. And that's important to victory. It's important because God's perspective, it affects our behavior. God's perspective affects our habits. It affects our language. It affects our work. It affects our relationships. You add anything you want to the list, God's perspective affects it. It affects every aspect of our life. And if you're in this category, you live and you walk in victory. Furthermore, your, your whole life is shaped by how God sees things and how God thinks about things. I, I, I firmly believe that one of the reasons so many Christians are not living in victory is that they have not adjusted their perspective and aligned their perspective with God's Word. By the way, if you want to know how God thinks, just stay in this book. And then align your perspective with this book. In fact, this is your worldview roadmap right here. So you don't, uh, you don't say, what does the world say about this? And can I match that up in the Word of God? What you do is you say, what does God say about that? And I will align my life accordingly. I'll take God's perspective. The defeated existence of so many believers today is the result, listen, of trying to get God to think like they do. I'll, I'll try to get God to think. Well, they wouldn't say that. What they will do is simply try to get God to bless decisions and choices and directions that they've already determined to make and try to then spiritualize it. That's a way of trying to, to get God to think like we think. And we have to be careful uh, about trying to get God to have the mind of us. Did you get that? Paul says that the spiritual person has the mind of Christ. We must be careful not to try to get God to have the mind of us. I have to be careful not to say, God, you need the mind of Ray. God help the world if that ever happens, right? Right? And God help the world if he ever adopts yours. We have to have his mind. That's the spiritual person. So why is this person victorious? It is because 
They have this perspective of Christ as indicated in verse 16. It is because they have the power of the Spirit. Listen, Paul also wrote in Romans 8, 11 and said, If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ from the dead, listen, will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. Isn't that an incredible verse? You know what he's saying? He's saying the same power that resurrected Jesus, that's pretty significant power. The same power that brought Jesus back from the dead is the power that God will invest in you so that your fleshly, mortal, dying body can have new life and power to live. The victorious person has has experienced that and experiences that. By the way, much of that is in the present tense. It means it's not a something that a, uh, it's not a past happening. It is an ongoing process. But I'll tell you, they're also victorious because they produce the fruit of the Spirit. Paul tells us about that in Galatians 5. It is the product. Now listen, if you want to know, are you in this category, the spiritual person, what kind of fruit's coming out of your life? Paul says that there is fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control. You know, he, he lists them in Galatians 5, 22 and 23. And uh, you want to test, say, is there any fruit? Is there any fruit happening in my life? That's the fruit. That's the fruit of the Spirit. If you are the spiritual person, there will be spiritual fruit. Jesus even said, by their fruit, you will know them. So if you are in this category, there will be spiritual fruit coming. You'll have the mind of Christ operating to direct uh, and instruct you. And then there's one last category. And I, I, uh, this is like the first category. You don't need to stay in this category. It is the carnal person. Verse 3 of chapter 3. For you are still of the flesh. The Greek word there is sarks. And... Uh, and, and some translations for you uh, uh, translate it, for you are yet carnal. That comes from uh, the Latin word carne, and it means flesh. It's literally in the ESV, it's just translated for what it is. It's uh, flesh, it's physical. Carne, though, is where it comes from. You are carnal. Chili con carne. Did I just ruin it for you? <laughs> Chili with flesh. You understand? That's what the word means now. We got that, right? And this is a category. This is a dysfunctional spiritual category. The carnal person is, is not a new Christian, but they act like one. No, no, they don't. They act worse. New Christians are always so excited about their relationship with God. They'll do just about anything God says. It's the long-timers you have to look out for who get jaded and take their, uh, their uh, walk with God for granted, and it loses its dynamic and its power. And the carnal person starts living more like the world than like the kingdom. And a, and a carnal person's not a new believer, but they're a baby in faith. They, they've been around a while, but they are immature. Look at what Paul said in verses 1 and 2 of chapter 3. But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people. In other words, I'd like to address you as mature spiritual followers of Christ, but I couldn't do it. He said, because 
you're still like an infant. You're people of the flesh. I fed you with milk and not solid food, for you were not ready, you were not ready for it. And even now you're not yet ready for it. This is the carnal person. They're spiritually dysfunctional. They're still on milk when they should be on solid food. And that's why Paul challenges them. And by the way, that was the, I would say, the overreaching characteristic of the Corinthians. They had, conv- they had a confession, but listen, friend, they also had a condition. Their condition was that they would say the right things. I mean, the, the, I mean their, their confession was that they would say the right things. I'm a believer. I'm a follower of Christ. Put me in the 70%. That's who I am. I, I believe in God. I believe in Jesus. I'm a follower of Christ. I even believe His Word. But they had a condition, and their condition their condition was that they, they said one thing and they lived another thing. Their condition was that they didn't look a, a whole lot different than, than those who were the natural persons. You see, there's confusion sometimes over our confession and our condition. But here's the fact. The, your spiritual condition should reflect your spiritual confession. Okay? But often our spiritual confession is not true, and it is not a true reflection of our real condition. I had, uh, I've told you this probably a time or two over the years, but it bears repeating as an illustration a woman I'd been preaching years, many years ago down in Florida in our church, and we had a reception after I would finish the message for all of our guests, and a woman came to me. I was in there, and I would greet them, and we would have some, some light snacks and that sort of thing and just get to know them a little bit. And a woman came up to me, and she said, Pastor, she's I'm a guest, and she said, oh, she said, I just so love being here uh, at your church today. And she said, your message was so, so good. And I said, well, I said, thank you. And she said, but before I could say anything else, she said, but... And, you know, it's the butt that always gets you in the end. And she said, she said this to me. She said, but, 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 there's just one thing I disagree with you on. I said, well, all right, what, what would that be? And she said, I disagree with that part where you said Jesus Christ is the only way to God. I said, Really? She said, yeah, she said, I agree with everything else, but she said, I, I have problems with that. I disagree with that. And I said, well, I said, that is a problem. I said, because my whole message revolved around that very fact, that Jesus Christ is the only way to God. She said, well, yeah. I said, well, do you believe? So I thought, well, do you believe the Bible is what my next question. She said, oh, Yes. I believe all of it. I said, well, then do you believe John 14, 6, where Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and life. No one comes to the Father but by me. She said, oh, yes, I believe it. I said, well, you just told me you didn't. She said, well, I do. I believe it. I believe all the Bible. It's just that I also believe there are other ways to God. Friend, that's what you call having a confession and a condition. It's dysfunctional. 
And there are many people today in our churches, listen, that are here. They're right there. And the problem is they are being more influenced by the world than they are by the kingdom of God. And what's happened is, instead of being led by the Spirit of God, they are walking in the flesh and trying to act like it is from God. Paul's criticism of these Corinthians is that you could not distinguish their life from those who didn't know Christ at all. But friend, there should be a distinct difference. And by the way, that difference should be not just in the seats. It ought to be in the street when you're out there. And not just uh, should it be in the pulpit. It should be in the preacher when he's not in the pulpit. And by the way, I, I came across something that said uh, this week, an article again, that talked about... Uh, well, Charles Finney said this, a great preacher, part of the, the awakening in 1873. He said, uh, if the public press lacks moral discrimination, if the church is degenerate and worldly, if the world loses its interest in religion, if Satan rules in our halls of legislation, if our politics become so corrupt that the very foundations of our government are ready to fall away, Listen, he said, the pulpit is responsible for it. Wow. One study by Barna revealed recently, listen to this, only 37% of the pastors in America have a biblical worldview. Now, it's one thing when less than four out of ten people, I guess, out in the culture have have less than a biblical worldview. But friend, when it's not happening in the pulpit, when the preacher doesn't even have a biblical worldview, what would we expect from those who sit under their ministries? What are the characteristics of this person? Let me go on before I start preaching. <laughs> what are the characteristics of the carnival? See, is this your category? First of all, they look like the world. Verse 3, again, behaving only in a human way. They may sound like Christians, but they look like everyone else. Paul's criticism is that you could not distinguish them from anyone else. A.W. Tozer had this great line. I've got it on the back of my study door. When I walk out of there to come in here, I see it when I walk out of there. I came across it, and I told uh, one of our staff members, and she had it, had it made on this beautiful plaque for me, and I had it, I had it uh, 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 posted on the back of my door. My, so when I leave, I see it. It was A.W. Tozer's statement where he said, The world is waiting to hear an authentic voice, a voice from God, not an echo of what others are doing and saying, but an authentic voice. Now, I think every preacher needs to remember that, but I want to tell you something every believer needs to understand. Your voice, who you are, says something about who God is. Later in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, 2 Corinthians, his next letter to the Corinthians, Paul would write and say to the church, Therefore, come out from among them and be separate. 
Come out from among them and be separate. What is he saying? Look, distinction. Don't be, don't look like the world does. Look like the kingdom does. Now, if this is your category, if people cannot tell any difference in your life and the life of those outside of Christ, well, you're carnal. At best, you're carnal. You may be lost. Uh, look, let, let me just let me insert one more thing here. We have, we have done a lot of people in the church today a disservice because we've just excused and blamed their ungodly behavior on being, being carnal. They're just carnal. And when in reality, many are just lost. They're the natural person masquerading. They're just lost. And we've done a disservice because we said, well, you know, they used, to, they used to worship God. They used to follow God. They used to be excited about God. They used to attend church, all of these kinds of things. And we say, but, you know, they're just carnal right now. How long have they been carnal? About 15 years. Look, friend, if you can stay carnal for 15 years, you're lost. You're not carnal. Don't give yourself a pass. Now, look, <laughs> I know I'm preaching to the choir, right? I mean, you're here. You're the guys that, 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 uh, that are taking it in, so I understand that. But listen, Paul told the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians 13, he said, examine yourself to see whether or not you're even in the faith. That was his conclusion to them. Can you uh, examine your? Every once in a while, it's not a bad thing, for all of us to examine ourselves, not to create doubt, but to make sure we're in the kingdom. Do you know, you know, it's, it's getting dark out there, isn't it? Could you have ever imagined this much darkness this fast? You know, the Bible says that as the age draws to a close, that men's hearts will grow cold to God and to one another. And that the age will grow darker and darker. Do you know Jesus even told his disciples, he said, when the Son of Man returns, will he find faith on earth? Oh, there'll be a remnant. There always has been. Read my article. There's always been a remnant. There'll be a remnant. But what he's saying, will there be, will Christianity, will the following Christ be as popular when he returns? As it has been, especially in this land we're living in, it's had for over 200 years, but even that now is fading out. Well, <clears throat> second, what we excuse a lot of times in carnality is probably honestly just a person that's lost. But the second characteristic is not only do they look like the world, they they act like the world, behaving only in a human way, again, is the statement. Uh, 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 and in verse 4, he says, are you not being merely human? By the way, that's an interesting, why does he insert the word merely? You're being merely human. You know what he says? When you and I live a carnal life, when we live outside of the, the spiritual person, the victorious Christian life, we're settling for less than what God has for us. Are you, you're just merely human. You have settled for merely living like a human when you don't have to. They act like the world. They, they operate with the same techniques as the world, the car carnal person does. That's because where the spiritual person has the perspective of Christ to guide them, 
and their perspective, the carnal person operates with the, uh, a perspective that's shaped by those outside of the kingdom. In other words, they ask these guys, well, how do, you know, what's popular? How do people respond? And I don't want to offend. And I, I don't, look, the, the gospel is an offense. Our goal isn't to offend anybody. But Paul said the gospel is an offense. He said it's a stumbling block to the Greeks and to the Romans. He said, but to those of us who are saved, it is a sweet aroma of God. But listen, we, we have to understand something. we got to quit expecting the world to like us. Now, I'm not t- telling you to go out there and try to get them not to like you. But our agenda is not set by the world. Our agenda is set by God, by His Word and by the kingdom of God. And the carnal man or woman has decided to try to live in both worlds. They've tried to straddle the fence. They've tried to say, well, when it's more convenient to operate by the ideologies of the world, here I am. Or if it's more conducive to live spiritually, then I'll step into that role. But listen, Jesus said, no man can serve two masters. You'll either love one or hate the other. There is coming in this nation and perhaps across the globe, there is coming. You mark it down that I said it today just so you'll you'll know. There is coming in this nation a dichotomy of the church in America. There's going to be a rift. And a lot of it may be subtle. It will just be, it'll just be kind of innocuous. And the church saying, we're just not going to stand for anything. And then there'll be the biblical church, and it'll be harassed, already is being, but the intensity will increase. It'll be harassed, and we'll find out who the carnal Christians are and who the spiritual people are and who the natural people are. We'll find out. Because our behavior reveals our nature. Then here's the last thing. The last characteristic of the carnal person is that they talk and think like the world. Did you notice in verse, um, let me, let me, uh, verse four, it says, when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Paulus. Now they're acting like mere humans, he says, but did you notice the emphasis when one says, The carnal person not only looks no different than the world, they not only act no different than the world, listen, they think no different than the world. They speak no different than the world because they are more influenced by the world than the kingdom. And instead of the mind of Christ, they have the same worldview as those outside of the kingdom of God. A carnal Christian will often try to reason from the perspective of the world. A carnal Christian will try and impose the ideology of the world uh, on the work of God in the church. We must never, as I said, allow the ideas of the culture to set the agenda for the church and the kingdom of God. And I say that today because much of what is happening in our nation is trying to shift the mindset of the church to coincide with the thinking of the world. Remember that and keep your antenna up. 
Our minds are wonderful creations of God, but they have to be guarded. It's why Paul writes in Philippians 4, allow the peace of God which passes understanding. He says it will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. We, um, we just, uh, um, we, well, when I was growing up, I played with a stuff called Silly Putty. Anybody ever play with Silly Putty? You remember Silly Putty. It was some of the some of the coolest stuff, you know, to kids. You could roll it up like a ball, and you could bounce it and go sky high. You remember that? You could stretch it and break it and bend it and put it all back together and all that kind of stuff. You remember you could do all those kinds of things? Well, Alice and I recently bought some silly putty. We did. We didn't buy it for us. You know who we bought it for. We bought it for our oldest grandson who can't pronounce it and calls it Pooley Putty. But I showed him some of the neat things you can do with it. And his interest didn't last as long as mine. But I showed him, Bodie, look what you can do. And you can roll up. He was more interested in just stretching it as far as he could and trying to snap it and stuff. But I showed him all these things. But the best thing that you used to be able to do, in my view, with Silly Putty was you could flatten it out. Remember, you could put it down on newsprint. And we used to take back in the, the day when I was growing up when you had the color comic in the newspaper and we would take the color comics and put it down on press it down there pull it up and what would you have you would have the comics on your your silly your silly putty or pooly putty they're going to rename it I'm sure for my grandson and that was one of the coolest things you know you could pull up a copy of the comics onto that putty did you know your mind is like that too um your mind is made by God. It's remarkable. And, and it's able to pick up everything. And if you constantly expose your mind to the wrong things, guess what it's going to pick up? It's going to pick up the wrong things. It's going to pick up the wrong worldview. It's going to pick up the wrong thoughts. It's going to pick up the wrong desires. The carnal mind is just like that. It is so shaped by the world instead of the word that it picks up everything that the world offers it. And so they have trouble distinguishing right from wrong. And like the natural person and the, the unsaved person, they, they can come to believe that right is wrong and wrong is right. Because their minds are shaped by anything but God. You know, Isaiah, in chapter 5, verse 20, wrote these words. He said, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, those who substitute darkness for light and light for darkness, who substitute bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Woe to those who get it messed up. The carnal mind gets it messed up. Because the carnal mind isn't shaped by what God says. It's shaped by what what everybody else says, maybe colleagues, maybe friends, maybe even family members, shape it. And when the carnal mind becomes shaped by the things of the world, the carnal person is no different than those who don't know God. So, who are you? 
Are you the natural person? If you are, the good news is change that. You can receive Christ as your Savior today. You can call on Him. I'm going to give you an opportunity to do just that in just a moment. Are you the spiritual person? You say, you know, I'm walking in victory. I'm following Christ. I'm surrendered and I'm sensitive. And I'm being led by the Spirit of God. Praise God. Or are you the carnal person? You say, you know what? I I used to be the spiritual person. That's the thing about the carnal person. The true carnal person probably was the spiritual person at some point in time, but they just drifted kind of away, and now they're carnal. And they're behaving just like he says here. Is that you? You know all the truths. You know the right things. You got all the right answers. But your relationship with God is suffering because you're the carnal person. Maybe you say, I've been using that as an excuse. I'm a lost person. You change all of that today and how you respond to him. Will you pray with me? Heads bowed, eyes closed. No one's looking about in this place. If you don't know Christ today, call on him right now. Say, Lord Jesus, I call on you to be my Savior. I know I'm a sinner. I've been religious but I have rejected what you've done for me. Today I change that. I receive it. I don't reject it any longer. Come into my life. Be my Savior. Forgive me of my sins. If you're the carnal, if you're the carnal Christian, tell him today, say, God, that's me. I've lost the, my first love. I've lost the joy of my salvation. I, I, I'm more in tune with what the world has to say than I am what you have to say. God, I confess that is sin and I Renew my walk with you today, Lord. Restore to me the joy of my salvation. And if you're the victorious Christian, praise Him right now. You just say, thank you, Lord, that I'm hearing from you. That you're directing me. That your word is alive. And I praise you. Now, Lord, uh, as we come to this moment of invitation... Would you move in the hearts of those who are watching us on live stream and watching on television, those who are listening by radio, God, who need to make uh, uh, perhaps all of these decisions that we've talked about. Give them courage. Move in their hearts. And Father, be honored through the decisions that we make, all of us, in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand with me for our invitation? I want to invite you to slip out from the balcony or ground floor. Come this way. Our staff are going to be on the aisles. I'm here. Come take one of us by the hand and just tell us, hey, I've called on Christ today to be my Savior. Man, we'll pray with you and rejoice with you in that. Maybe you're, you need a church home. If you don't have one, you need one. And maybe you say today, I'm going to join Ridgecrest. We'd love to have you in this place. I'm not a perfect pastor, and we're not a perfect people, but I'd say it frequently. We're healthy And you need a healthy church if you don't belong any place. And we want you to connect with us here today. Come and pray around this altar. Use it. Bend your knee before God. Talking to Him about, well, you're praying for somebody. You're praying for others. You're praying about some decision you have to make. You need His wisdom. You're seeking the mind of Christ in something. You come and kneel before Him. There's power in a bent knee. It is a biblical posture. And so I urge you to come and kneel before Him. Are you ready? As the choir leads us right now, you slip out. Balcony, ground floor, come on.